Welcome to the Hammer and Quill, a Bonhoeffer House podcast exploring the good, the true, and the beautiful in the lives and vocations of interesting friends. This is episode 21, an interview with Dr. Jonathan Pennington, a friend of the house, someone who we have enjoyed having a cup of coffee with and who is now joining us via Zoom, which is uh, you know, really appropriate considering 2020 is the year of Zoom. Yeah. So welcome, Dr. Jonathan Pennington. Hey, hey. thrilled to be with you guys. So good. Good to have you with us. We, uh, you know, we were just talking this afternoon about how uh, this time last year is when we we met you for coffee in, Lu- in Louisville. Louisville. Or Louisville. Oh, can you settle that for us? Is it Louisville? Uh, well, it, you just made it clear that you don't live here. Yeah, it's, it's clearly uh, Louisville. <laughs> Louisville. I think how they say it. <laughs> Louisville. Uh, we had coffee with you at some local Louisville uh, coffee shop <laughs> and um, had a great time talking with you about uh, training future pastors, theological formation, and in fact about this book that is just now coming out yeah. uh, this week. You uh, pulled us, I think. Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, the way that I think, the way I remember the conversation happening is that we are, we're the ones that came up with the title. That's how <laughs> I remember the conversation. <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah. 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 yeah well, I, I probably did ask you about it because there was a time about a year ago when I was, I had like 30 different possible titles for the book right. and was so exercised about it and was was asking people. So I don't know what you recommended, but we ended up with uh, Jesus, the great philosopher. So I hope that's what you recommended. It's exactly what we recommended, but by the sound of it, we're not going to make it into the acknowledgements which <laughs> is really what I was. <laughs> no, no, you did. You pulled us. We had a, there was, you know, seven or eight of us around a coffee shop and uh, you kind of talked through the vision for the book, yeah. which we were all very excited about. And then also about some possible titles. I think there was a sage in there, maybe a wise man. And we, yeah. we thought, hey, philosopher, that's a good one. So, uh, so we're very excited about this book coming out. We're excited to have you with us. Uh, and and you know, I, I assume, as is probably true, you're a, you're a longtime listener here to The Hammer and Quill. But just in <laughs> case you're not, uh, and, and, and in fact, if you're tuning in for the first time, what this podcast is all about, Michael and I, Uh, We work for the Bonhoeffer House, and uh, we really wanted to start this to explore the good, the true, and the beautiful, and in the lives and vocations of people who are serving God in different ways, looking especially through the lens of Philippians 4, 8, which says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. And so we wanted to stop and look at the lives and vocations of people serving God in a Philippians 4, 8 kind of way. And we're, we're excited to have you with us here uh, today on episode 21 to really dive in and look at not just uh, not just the, the book that's come out, Jesus, the Great Philosopher, which we are excited to talk about, but also uh, how it is that you honor God, serve God in your vocation uh, and we wanted to have you on because we consider you to be a friend of the Bonhoeffer House, shared value for apprenticeship, uh, for training, for for kind of craftsmanship as part of the theological training process for future pastors. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've personally, in our little micro network of churches, uh, our craft network, can we, it's like a craft brewery network of churches. Uh, we benefited greatly from your book, The Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing, a few years back. We, yeah. you know, one of the things we do in our, in our little network of Bonhoeffer House churches is often more than one church will 
preached through a similar series or the same book of the Bible. And we, we did a, a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we typically try to settle in on what's the one book that we're all going to share. You know, we're going we're gonna to go into different commentaries, but what's one that we want to stick with? And the Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing was our book. Uh, you also serve on a pastoral team, models kind of a vision of pastor theologian that we, we really try to train our men to aspire to. Uh, your newest book, Jesus, the Great Philosopher, releases this week, and we uh, we wanted to introduce him and this book to you, our listeners. And here's the question, as you know, again, as a longtime listener, uh, <laughs> here's the question we ask all of our guests, and really, we get a we get really a, a wide variety of answers to this uh, and ways to go here. But what would be on the back of your baseball card? <laughs> Well, thanks for that uh, long run up to a, a very interesting question. Yeah, I, let me just say before I try to answer that, that uh, meeting with you guys last year was a super delight for me as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was so encouraged by the work you're doing. And I, and I also just love the vision, the, the good, the true, and the beautiful. I mean, those are the great transcendentals that humans have long seen as as good and true and beautiful and things worth pursuing. So I just really... Um, admire the work you guys are doing. And I'm so honored to, to have this conversation and make some contribution to it. Mm. Um, well, I am going to try to answer your question in a way that will probably turn off quite a few listeners because I really don't like baseball. So you're going to have to tell me, I haven't looked at a baseball card since I was probably about 12. So you're going to have to tell me what you're asking by that question. <laughs> like what's on the back of a baseball card, what should be on there? And my apologies to any listeners who love baseball i'm a soccer guy so there you go i don't really like baseball either (laughs) (laughs) we are 21 episodes first of all uh for everyone listening i apologize for these men um we're 21 episodes in now and this question has not landed once it's not once it's it's uh, but you know what um yeah and you haven't gotten a clue from that I guess no, no. That, that was uh... one of the things that we established in episode 20 is that one of my philosophies in life is if something doesn't work, just keep doing it. <laughs> Eventually it's bound to work, right? That that's the definition of brilliance or genius or something like that. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, so really what we're looking Our for. Insanity. It, okay. What we're looking <laughs> for is just to introduce yourself. You know, typically on the back of a baseball card, you're going to see, you know, vital statistics, hometown, where you're from. Uh, but in our case, we're looking at, um, you know, what, what's, what, what should our listeners know about you? You know, are you a family man? I know you've got like a gaggle of kids, you know, those sorts of things where you studied, what you do now. Uh, so really just introduce yourself. Yeah, gladly. Okay. Uh, well, on the back of my soccer card, it would say, um, I don't think there are soccer cards here. There are. Oh, sure uh, are. It, it would say that, uh, I just turned 50. So 2020 was supposed to be the, year of sort of coming into my maturity. Uh, I turned 50 on March 8th, 19 or uh, 2020. We had a huge celebrate celebration party um, where a lot of people, big disco party, my wife and daughter put on. And then five days later, the entire country basically shut down. So, mm. so 2020 didn't turn out to be this great 50 year old, but I was old. Um, I have been married for 27 years to my wife, Tracy. We do have six kids. Um, the youngest of whom is uh, 15 and then older up from there. Uh, and I've been a professor of New Testament for 15 years now uh, at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. 
Um, and I've been a pastor for longer than that off and on, um, but going back 20 plus years. Um, but for the last seven or eight years at uh, Sojourn East, which I know you're familiar with that and the Sojourn Network. Um, and in fact, the exciting thing is just within the last few months, I've stepped up my role there a lot. And now I'm the spiritual formation pastor uh, for Sojourn East. So I'm doing a lot more preaching and other men's ministry and overseeing some other ministries. So that's uh, probably uh, who I am. I do love golf and soccer and uh, reading and walking. And I don't know what else would be. The card probably is now into several cards. Yeah, that, that's um, excellent. Link. So that's probably enough. Yeah, that's excellent. So, so on the back of your soccer card, that's some great, and, and you know, as a matter of fact, um, I was thinking about this. Uh, the first time that I met you was probably when you were first starting at, at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, because I used to be on staff with crew with, uh, the artist formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. And, uh, you were our New Testament, uh, you know, the, that, that class I took for New Testament was one of the ones where there's like 200 staff people but then there's sort of breakouts and you've got the yeah. 10 or 12 uh, and I was in your breakout. And, and when we met up last year, I brought that up, you know, as a kind of, a, Hey, do you remember that? And you didn't remember. <laughs> but that's okay. But I remembered, I remembered. So uh, no, but it, uh, I've kind of kept up with you from a distance because that class was really formative for me mm -hmm. and really kind of set a direction for me with, uh, theological formation and and really thinking theologically about ministry, you know, instead of it just being about get out there and do what works, uh, really thinking about about who God is and how that affects the way that we do ministry and how we do everything from prepare a, a sermon or a talk or a Bible study to uh, to even just you know how to think about a staff person or a student. And so, really appreciated that. I'd love to know a little bit more about uh, thinking vocationally when you knew you were called to be a New Testament scholar and what went into that as far as a career choice? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, you know, the, I'd say the highest level answer to that is that I didn't, I didn't and couldn't have planned out my life. And what I've tried to do over the last um, 32 years of being a Christian, I guess it is, is just tried to do the next thing well and try to do the next thing faithfully. Mm -hmm. And if I, if I look back over the last um, 30 plus years of being a Christian, I never would have imagined or dreamed that I'd be doing what I'm doing. I just couldn't have. Um, but, you know, there were stages in which the next step became clear. And for me, it was, I was, I got saved through crusade as a freshman at a university in Illinois near Chicago. And then was real involved in that. And then the next thing that became clear to me because a guy that, who was discipling me, was that I should go to, to seminary because I wanted to learn more about the Bible and, and theology. So I started doing that. And then in the midst of that, uh, the next thing was clear to me is that I should take this associate pastor role while I was doing that. So I did that. Uh, and then I, at the end of that um, time, about five years of pastoring and in seminary at the same time, uh, it became clear that I should pursue further study. And so, and, you know, at every stage, it was that there was internal desire and external sort of confirmation. Both mm. those things always go together. They should, you know, and figure out God's will. And so I was passionate and desirous of doing further study. And then my professors and others and people in my church were like, yes, you should do that. And so um, then we moved to Scotland and that was back in 2002 and 
you know, I just did the next thing as well as I could and faithfully, and then God opened the door for me to land here at Southern as a professor. So again, I couldn't have planned it out, um, but it's been a beautiful and wonderful adventure of um, just seeing where God led me. Uh, in terms of, you know, pastoring versus being a professor, uh, you know, it's it's interesting because it's a, the journey's not over for me because it's always been both. But there have been the last 15 years have been a season where it's been primarily as a scholar and writer but with with pastoring as a secondary thing. And I'm kind of entering a season where it's it's kind of more balanced than it's ever been. Part mm. of it's just getting older and knowing who I am more. But I think just God's leading me. I, I think my first calling is to be a professor and a writer and a teacher. I love the classroom. Um, but I also just the last few years, especially just my heart is just enlarging, enlarging. It's kind of like the Grinch, you know, after he is mm -hmm. converted by the who's, you know, his heart, his heart gets larger and larger. That's why I feel like my, my connection to the church, my desire to give a lot of my life energy to the local mm. church just keeps growing. And so I, I'm kind of seeing myself heading almost towards like a, maybe even a half and half balance where for the last 15 years, it's been appropriately, I think, primarily academic and secondarily church. So yeah, it's just the next thing. I'm trying to do the next thing faithfully, whatever God puts in front of me. Yeah, that is, I, I really, I really appreciate hearing that because we, we have talked a lot, you know, a lot about vocation here on the Hammer and Quill. And in talking about that, we've talked some about the internal and external callings lining up. And I, I think back to the, the podcast we did with Shelby Abbott recently, where, uh -huh. Uh, we talked a lot about that. Essentially, you really need someone to say, hey, you're good at this. Yeah. Um, you know, I never had a seminary professor told, tell me, you'd make a great scholar. I was always waiting for it, <laughs> but it was always like, ah, are you sure about that? And maybe, maybe you should kind of go in this direction. Um, but, but the idea of doing the next thing faithfully, you know, taking one step at a time, we haven't really explored that. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a really valuable way to think about how to be faithful to God's calling, you know, rather than just think I'm going to get there no matter what, you know, well, what does God have for me now and do that faithfully? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious even if, I, yeah, am, ambition is, depending on the circle you're in, is sometimes a, a negative word versus a positive, but I've experienced ambition more in, in a negative sense. And I wonder if, uh, I wonder if ambition is, is saying, I'm going to, I'm going to go get this thing at, at any cost. And, uh, what we're looking and, and what we're looking for and talking more about is, Hey, let's, let's one step at a time, see, uh, what's God asking yeah. of me? What, what are the people around me, um, pointing me towards and, uh, and then I just mean, faithfully, I, I, I don't see ambition as a negative thing. Actually, I'd say I'm quite ambitious actually okay, and, yeah. and quite motivated to get stuff done and, and build things and pursue things. Um, but I think what, you know, the, the greatest prayer of the Bible, I think for our daily lives is Jesus at the garden of Gethsemane. I feel like this is the banner that can and should hang over all of our lives. Not my will, but thy will be done. Mm. And when we, when that becomes the the posture and the mark of our lives, um, there's such freedom there. I mean, mm -hmm. that's what I found, you know, so like that, like I have tons of desires. Like I want to write this book. I want to do this job. I want to do the, and I pursue them. I mean, I, I make it happen, but the reason I'm not anxious about it is that there's this foundational mm -hmm. and umbrella reality of not my will, but thy will be done because I know 
that anything that I try to manipulate and pursue into happening by my own control and power is never really going to satisfy. And I'm probably just going to jack stuff up and screw things up and hurt people and myself. Mm. And so I pursue what I desire, but I hold on to everything loosely because I don't want my will because mm. my will is blind and foolish and incomplete. So that for me, that's really worked well for my adult life is to try to keep in balance that ambition plus humility and, and submission. So yeah, ambition all- and submission. There you go. My next book. Boom. <laughs> you heard it here first. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Uh, and, and really, I think what we're talking about is two different visions for ambition or two yeah. different uh, uh, ways to be ambitious. In fact, I, I tell guys in our church all the time and, and probably need to say it with the Bonhoeffer house more often that, um, that Paul in a sense, uh, uh, recommends ambition when it comes to, to, to pastoral ministry and the eldership, you know, yeah. those who, who, aspire to become an elder desire a good thing or those who desire to, you know, that there, there's a recommendation of, of, um, of ambition there, but it's, it's kind of seasoned with humility, uh, with submission and ambition and submission. I, that's got a good ring too. We could, we could help you workshop a title on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, moving on. So, so let's talk some about navigating your callings to the Academy and the church. I'm, I'm interested by your, your seeming shift towards more of a 50, 50, um, I'd love to know some practical ways you you w- work that balance out. You kind of navigate your callings there. One one thing, um, just by way of introduction, that I think uh, just and you you don't know that this has happened, and so this let this be an encouragement to you. When we when we met with you last year, you shared a little bit of the behind the scenes of how Sojourn the Sojourn network of uh, well the the particular small kind of network of of Sojourn churches in Louisville. Um, do do some sermon planning together, and how you, as a kind of uh, uh, a biblical scholar in residence, or you know, on the pastoral team, are helping shape some of the the direction that the team goes in with with preaching series. And so we 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 took that idea, and we were like, hey, we need to do that. And so uh, not only are our our churches now trying to link up their sermons and their series so that we can have some pulpit swapping and shared resourcing. But in this series we're in right now, which is in Isaiah, we brought Dr. Gary Yates. He's an Old Testament scholar who's done his work primarily in uh, in the prophets. He's he's local and he's now teaching a class for us. And he came and gave us a whole, you know a day to sort of uh, workshop it, tell us how he would outline it. Walk walk. We've got a twenty four part sermon series that is due almost entirely to the fact that we listened to what you did and said, hey. I think we could recreate this. Let's do that. Let's do that. (laughs) That seems better than me and my study alone with, you know, four commentaries and a Bible trying to work it out. And so, so I'd love to, you know, some behind the scenes, what does it look like for you to navigate kind of a shared calling to both scholarship and the local church? That's so encouraging. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I think it's been one of the greatest things to be part of what we call here locally, the collective. I know it sounds rather, if you're a Star Trek person, you know, that that's to me for my generation sounds like the Borg. The Borg. But, uh, the collective. Um, maybe that doesn't mean much resistance much even, is futile. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. So the network is broader. So your network and then the local now six churches are, we call the collective because we're independent, but we contribute together to a common cause. Um, yeah, so that's really, that's really a great thing. And I, I do believe in that. And it's been a real joy and honor for me. We've been preaching through Matthew off and on for the last couple of years, and we'll continue kind of, we intersperse it with other series. And so for each of those chunks of Matthew, um, 
I put together kind of an outline of what the text to break, break out the text and then do some teaching on it for the collective pastors. It's so fun. Um, and uh, I don't know if I, you guys know this, or I told you this, but I actually have a book on preaching coming out uh, next spring, uh, spring of 21 with, Lexham Press, um, and there's a chapter in there. It's a, it's called Small Preaching. It's a real short book with a bunch of like tiny little chapters, 25 little chapters of things to think about to improve as a preacher. And one of them is on this idea of, mm. of um, gathering together with other pastors. It can be regionally, but with Zoom and things like that, you could actually do it, you know, across the whole country if you wanted, but de- designing sermon series together and sharing resources. And there's, so there's a little essay, I call it band of brothers preaching, you know, Mm -hmm. that we really kind of gathered because together we're more than just what an individual can do. So that's the idea. So I encourage you guys to do that. That's so wonderful. I wish all churches would do that. I I don't think pastors should be lone rangers, you know, Mm. but uh, how do I balance? I think your question was actually kind of, how do I balance these two things? And you know, um, not perfectly, I I think would be the (laughs) honest answer, but uh, I have been gifted with a very high bandwidth. I mean, I can do a lot of things and um, my personal calling and that I feel with that is that to whom much is given, much is required. So I try to, uh, I have desires and I have a lot of bandwidth, but I also try to be faithful, recognizing that I have more energy and probably capabilities than um, some other people along those lines. I'm also at a stage of life where it's a little easier because most of my kids are grown now. And, and, you know, my two youngest that are in high school are sophomores and juniors and not that they don't have needs, but it's a little different than like you guys or a lot of the listeners might have, you know, a, a handful of small children at home. And, and it's just so important that you prioritize your family. And so, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm, entering into a stage of great productivity at my age because mm. I'm kind of closing one phase of life with parenting, et cetera. I'm kind of in the home stretch of that. And uh, not that it ends, you know, like, like I was sharing with you before we started recording, you know, I had a child, I have a car accident today. So a small one, you know, so that's, yeah. that's an adult child. So there's still these things happening, yeah. you know, but it's a little different. So I, I'd want to make sure that young pastors remember to prioritize their family and don't have too high of expectations on themselves. Just do the next thing. Well, you know, but for me, I, you know, I, I am passionate about both. And so I try to maintain uh, energies uh, in both academic and, and church. And I think they feed each other. You know I mean? I'm the reason I'm able to do what I'm able to do in church is because it's rooted in the life of the mind that I've given myself to. Um, and I think I always feel like I, I'm just very privileged to be drawing from a very deep well. So when I go to write a sermon, you know, it's not like I'm starting from scratch, right? I mean, I've been doing this a while and I've, I know how to study and I've been reading stuff for a long time. And so I don't know, maybe that's not much of an answer, but I, I think this is kind of my calling to do both of these things. And yeah. so I'm just trying to be faithful with it. It's not everybody's calling. And so don't, you know, don't take somebody else's calling on to mm. your life to mm. figure out what God's calling you to do and then do it well. You know? That's excellent. That's excellent. And, and, and a couple of things that I, I hear in there that I want to highlight is uh, when you think about navigating your callings to, to scholarship in the church. And again, you know, we want to, with the Bonhoeffer House, we're trying to train pastor theologian, but pastor theologians, but we don't necessarily mean people whose vocational callings are going to be to scholarship. Uh, we mean we mean pastors who are thinking theologically, drinking from those yeah. deep wells uh, in in a band of brothers and in a community where they're where they're able to really be sourced well and resourced well and partner well. 
Um, and so, so I think it's really helpful to think through, you know, it's not going to be everybody's calling to sort of walk in both worlds. And, and then also what was really, I appreciated about that is, uh, well, we can't first neglect our calling to our family, which can happen if we're, if we're going, Hey, I got to be like this guy, I got to be like this person and, and just kind of pour ourselves into things to the, to the neglect of our family. And so I find that to be really helpful. Yeah. Um, Good. So, so before we talk about Jesus, the great philosopher, we also want to get practical tips and tricks. What, what are some study habits that you use in your work as a scholar or pastor? Yeah. Yeah. Um, take care of your body. I think that's one of the most important things you can do. So, um, I eat a lot of protein and I try to, I come and go and how faithful I am, but I try not to eat a lot of sugar. Um, and just, uh, so I don't have any specific diet I follow and I do eat some carbs, but I just try to try to take care of my body and I walk. Um, and again, there've been different seasons where I've done more of this, but I try to, to walk a lot and walking is not only good for your body, but it's hugely important for your mental health. Mm-hmm. As you guys probably know, I mean, it's, it's one of the single most important things you can do to live a long and healthy and productive life is to take long walks. I mean, it mm-hmm. sounds crazy, but that's what humans have done for a long time. Um, <laughs> and rightly so. So take care of your body. Um, I listen to novels constantly. So mm-hmm. I am a huge literature fan. And when I say literature sounds fancier than it is, I mean, I listen to all kinds, like I'm listening to fight club right now. So that's obviously not high literature, but it's very intense. Um, but yeah. I, but I read a lot of science fiction, a lot of classic literature. I mean, I just constantly, and I do it through audible so that when I'm in the car, I'm, I don't take in any news because news will be the last thing will make you happy ever in your life. <laughs> news is a total waste of your time. It's just designed to make you unhappy. Mm. Um, and so I take in constant novels and, I am listening to them because I don't have a ton of time when I'm at home, especially to sit down and read a novel. And I have this weird occupational hazard that I often fall asleep when I try to read. (laughs) So I was kind of weird (laughs) for being a professor, but it's the truth. And so um, I constantly listen to novels. Um, Podcasts, obviously, a lot of people do. I don't listen to as many podcasts as most people probably do nowadays. But again, the best time to listen to those, obviously, when you're walking or working or Mm driving. Um, so, and then, you know, I read stuff that's well-written and that is interesting and, you know, you don't have to finish a book if it sucks. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, I think you should be free from that. It's nice to finish a book, but you know, I mean, not everything's equally well-written and not everything's equally important. Um, and just because somebody else tells you a book is important doesn't mean it necessarily is. Maybe it doesn't hit you or help you in certain Mm. ways. So I just read widely and whatever I'm interested in (laughs) and, and the more, and if, I don't know if you guys have got a chance to read the Jesus, the great philosopher book, but I think it's, it's the book that is the most me because it's like all over the place in terms of my reading habits. Mm. I mean, you know, there's everything from my little pony to Ferrari to Alain de Baton to biblical studies. I mean, it's all of, and that's just how I, approach knowledge. I'm just voraciously interested in whatever is interesting to me. So I would say just be yourself. Don't feel like you have to read all these things that somebody tells you to do. Read voraciously and hungrily for the good, the true, and the beautiful mm. really is what I what I try to do. Amen. So settle a debate for us. Oh no. Is <laughs> can can you count listening to an audible book <laughs> as reading? Like, like yes. you, so you say, I read this book when you listened yes. to the whole thing. Thank you. 
Yeah, you're, you're probably snooty. It sounds like whoever's saying not is that's what my wife is. She, <laughs> no, if I say, no. oh, I, wasn't it? It wasn't you. That's right. No, it's it's. Uh, if I yeah. say I read this, she, you mean do you listen to it? And I said no. I read. I mean, you're taking in the you're taking in the words. Did your eyeballs see the words or not? That's what I want to know. Yes, I I okay. did a challenge. Was it last? It was 2019. I read 50 books in the year. But I listened to a bunch of them, and I had some purists telling me, you didn't listen to it, you didn't read the book. Yeah, it was Jonathan. Yeah. yeah. Jonathan Bowell is listening, here, and you were wrong, bro. <laughs> here is the answer. Throughout most of human history and through most of the world today, no one owned a book or could read. Almost all literature, if you will, was taken <laughs> in through the ear. So actually, those who are only reading books – they're the ones who are the losers. Boom. Nailed it. There. Not only did I solve the oh, not man. only I solved the debate, I upped the ante. The listening is actually the more natural rate, way mm. to take in words, not reading. Boom. Okay. You just got it. roasted. Boom. Roasted. Yeah. Just got roasted. Let's talk about your new book, a book that you could listen to or read and certainly won't put down. Okay. Some books it's okay to put down. I, I'm I'm kind of in the world where like if I start a book. I feel a sort of sense of psychic guilt if I put it, put it down, but I'm getting yeah. over that. I'm yeah. learning that if a book's bad, uh, there's no real, there's no, I don't get it. Nobody gives me a prize Life for finishing short. it. Yeah. God, God, it's not like God is looking at me going, Hey, I, I really expect you to finish this bad book. Yeah. I used to think that I used to feel I, that. Yeah. Even I, if I, didn't think I that. feel that too. It's not true. I started this. I've got to finish it. It's not it. true, but I'll tell you one <laughs> book you're going to finish is Jesus, the great philosopher. Can you give us a, a basic overview? It obviously has my little pony in it. But I think it's got more than that in it. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what is this book and why you wrote it? Uh, well, thank you. That's very kind. Uh, you know, when you write a book, uh, especially me, I'm a slow writer. I wrote this book over the course of a couple of years. And so, uh, you know, I tried different kind of elevator speeches on trying to describe what the book's about. And I have a number of them, but I think probably the simplest one is that the the idea of this book is that uh, in our Christian faith, we understand that it's a religion. We understand that it's dealing with the relationship between God and humanity. And we might call that the vertical realities of our lives, that there is a, a relationship between God and humanity that goes both ways. And that's important. And the Bible speaks to that. But there's also the horizontal reality of, of our human lives. Like, how do you really live well? How do you be happy? How do you handle emotions? How do you think about relationships and vocation and vacation and all these kind of things. And, and sometimes in our Christian faith, we do a good job with that. Sometimes we don't, but I think a lot of times we, we don't realize that Christianity is speaking about those issues just as much as it's speaking about the vertical issues. Um, that is that there is the, that the Bible is a philosophy. It's providing a philosophy of life that is just as sophisticated and nuanced and thoughtful as any other philosophy of life that's out there, CrossFit or Oprah Winfrey or Jordan <laughs> Peterson or um, any, anything out there, because everybody's offered Nick Offerman's, you know, I talk mm -hmm. in the book about, you know, uh, Ron Swanson, yes. basically Nick Offerman, he wrote a book called Paddle Your Own Canoe. And it's basically a, you know, a, have lots of sex, eat lots of pork and uh, be your own man, you know? So everybody's offering a philosophy. Mm -hmm. And my point is that we've often forgotten or not realized that throughout the church's history, the Bible and Christian Christianity and the Christian faith was understood not just as a religion, but as a philosophy of whole life. And that's what I'm trying to kind of explore in this book and show that that's true biblically, show that's true in the church's history, and then kind of explore uh, what that looks like in a few different areas. Again, relationships, emotions, and happiness. That's 
That's fascinating and uh, a great recommendation for the book. And uh, it actually puts to words some things that I've been thinking about pastorally a lot lately because um, I find in my congregation and uh, and just with kind of the average Joe that that your your kind of uh, diagnostic right there about thinking about the scriptures and our relationship with God and Christianity as primarily just a vertical kind of concept, it, it really sim- in a simple way, how can I get right with God? Um, and maybe a more crude way, how can I make sure that I don't go to hell and just you know have, have a passport to heaven? And uh, often... People don't think about that horizontal dimension of uh, of really living your life under a king, and 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 really even how the scriptures portray a virtuous life and a life of, uh, you know, of of, of blessedness, of uh, which, as we mentioned before, is something that I really appreciated about Jesus uh, or about uh, the Sermon on the Mount and human flourishing. Mm. So I'm excited to read this book. I have not yet re- read it. But I am. I will be reading it, and am excited to recommend it. Now, I'm. I'm curious if you anticipate any challenges uh, with a book called Jesus the Great Philosopher. Do you Do you anticipate that you know maybe church folks might have some, uh, you know, challenge to pick up a book like that? And if so, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and uh, I've often told people, you know, we. Not only did I write this book and think about it for several years, but I also spent a long time just pounding my head against the wall on the title. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had some fun and long-winded conversations between the publisher and myself about the title because I realized philosopher doesn't sound very, in- on the one hand, it doesn't maybe sound very interesting. And the other side, for some people, it might sound scary. You know, they might just mm-hmm. think of Colossians 2, 8, 9, don't be captive, you know, by deceptive philosophy or something like that. Yeah. Um, but you know, I start the book by talking about how from the earliest days of the church, people like Justin Martyr um, and in the art of the early church, everybody talked about Jesus as a philosopher. This is not something that is like some new, just kind of cool sounding thing to do. This is a major image of Jesus that we've lost actually in the modern period. And so I, I show that and talk about why we've lost it and and it's, it's really an attempt to kind of recapture a word and, idea, and an idea of philosophy and philosopher that has kind of fallen on hard times. You know, I, I, I describe in the book that uh, when I took like philosophy 101 in college, I don't know what, if you took a class like that, but I went to a state university and, and it was some crazy old guy who just like wrote a bunch of German words on the board and you know had chalk pants, all chalk all over his pants. And he would just, you know, stand and stare at the wall and say, when we leave the room, do chairs exist? You know, and that, that was my whole sort of experience of philosophy. It was very impractical, very esoteric and kind of weird and anti-Christian. So I realized there's this sort of maybe built in, um, hesitancy about philosophy. Um, but what I'm trying to show in this book is that this is an idea and a, and a conceptualization that was from the very earliest days of the church, a really important aspect of what it means to be a Christian. Mm. And I show that it's in the Bible too. It's not even just early Christianity, that this is how the Bible presents itself as a philosophy of life. Um, so yeah, of course I anticipate maybe there'll be uh, some people that aren't interested or, or pushing back, but I think if, if you read it right from the beginning, you'll, I think, uh, people will see that it's, um, I hopefully written in an engaging way and, and I hope persuasive of the benefit of rediscovering this image. Good. Yeah. We're going to be, we're going to be giving away a copy actually, uh, mm-hmm. in, as we, as this podcast comes out, we'll have given a copy away. 
I plan to, um, to as, as I'm reading it, to be uh, to my dozens of followers out there uh, <laughs> promoting it. And, and one of the things that I, I, I find really interesting about this conversation is when you were saying that, that Jesus and the Bible offers a philosophy of life that rivals and even in, even in a sense transcends those offered by my next, my thought was you were going to say Aristotle or Plato, but you said Oprah Winfrey and <laughs> Nick Offerman. And so I think in some ways that, that CrossFit, CrossFit, that's right. Yeah. I wasn't going to talk about that one yeah. because we have you do it. <laughs> that one's fine. Um, that, 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 uh, in a sense we need to break down the, the kind of, um, yeah, the, the chalk pant, uh, crazy haired, German word using uh, vision of what a philosopher is. Hmm. Um, and so, I, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I just... Was... I mean, I am going to talk about Aristotle and, hmm. and the Stoics, especially, because they were um, they were great philosophers. And yeah. what I show in the second chapter of the book is that it's called the genius of ancient philosophy. And the idea is that philosophy in the ancient world with these guys was really um, incredibly thoughtful and very practical. Hmm. Like, it wasn't just these sort of abstract ideas of what is the nature of a horse or something. They did talk about those things, but they did all of that conversation to give practical advice to how to really live well yeah. and how to flourish. How yeah, to be happy. Yeah. And so it's not that those old people don't appear in the book either. It's just that my point is that uh, we all are be living by some philosophy of life and I'm recommending that we live by the Christian one. Mm. That's the idea. And, and, it sounds like you're you're filling in, you know, the the modern day philosophers that you named are are the people who are offering a a path towards happiness, towards goodness, towards flourishing, ra- you know, rather than the the purely intellectual, purely uh yeah, uh metaphysical questioning academic, yeah academic, academic philosophers right yeah. yeah yeah and there are some great academic philosophers too like charles taylor's an incredible one hmm. most of the best ones are from the catholic tradition so they have kind of a, a christian metaphysic at least or a big idea of how the world works but there are some great philosophers that i love and and read but um most academic philosophers have kind of abandoned they're calling and they mm. just do academic philosophy. They don't actually offer practical advice. They kind of look down on that. Uh, there, there is a tradition of modern philosophers to do that. Alain de Baton is one of my favorite. Mm. Um, there are a number of French philosophers that do this. They're actually super practical. Um, but most academic philosophers don't today, unfortunately. Yeah. But we do have hugely influential people, Jordan Peterson. I mean, I don't know yeah, yep. if in your lives you run across him a lot, but obviously there's this huge influence of Peterson and I think he's really attractive because he's a rare person who really says, let's think carefully and let's live well, mm. you know, and that, and so he's attractive to people. And I'm just saying, well, that's actually why we should go to the Bible. That's what Jesus <laughs> does. That way. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so that you mentioned the Colossians text, would, would you make the case, or maybe you do make the case in the book that the Colossians text is saying, uh, don't be taken captive by empty deceitful philosophies as opposed to the good, true, full, real philosophy of, of Jesus, the Messiah. Exactly right. That yeah. is exactly right. In fact, I don't think I said it that well in the books. I wish I could go back. Edition. <laughs> That's a perfect way to say it is that the very fact that it's critiquing other philosophies is, is part of the sort mm-hmm. of 
vision of the of the faith that it is a it's the true philosophy. Yep. I'm I'm pumped to read it. Yes, I I am on the I'm on the like uh what's it called? I'm on the the the, the launch team. The launch team. I'm on the launch team, but I actually realized I don't know what that means. I, I probably have missed some emails. I'm probably it means supposed you were to... supposed to be reading the book all along. <laughs> the last that's, that's, what it means, but that's okay. <laughs> Here, so here's one of the lessons today is I'm not, don't put me on a launch team. You're not a good launch team. Member. I'm not, I'm not a good launch team member, but, but, um, but I'm going to read it and I'm excited about it. Yeah. And I also anticipate that there might be some, some barriers for, for readers at first uh, in part because, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up, I actually grew up Roman Catholic, grew, grew up Roman Catholic, and um, coming into the kind of evangelical world was a, was a bit of a shock to me, it was, it was a bit strange, and one of the things that I, um, it was actually somewhat compelling to me, uh, is the, the idea that um, Jesus is, not, is no mere philosopher, you know, he's, you know, he's the Lord, he's not here to you know, tell you how to live. He's here to save your soul. And there, there was something compelling about that because uh, I hadn't heard a lot of that. I hadn't heard a lot of uh, what has Jesus done to, you know, uh, to make that vertical element, to make, to, to make a way for me to have, have peace with God. Um, but, you know, I, I, I often look around and I'm like, but he, we don't have to get rid of the other part, right? We don't, <laughs> we don't have to get rid of the, 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 the fact that Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount especially is, is giving us a, really compelling vision for the good life and um and so much yeah so so i you know i I don't know that there'd be much of an obstacle but uh but i all that being said i think the title's a great title and i think it's you know it 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 is what the what what you're writing about and um in some ways the the kind of uh uh um the challenge of the title i hope will draw our Mm -hmm. listeners into reading it and yeah, that's a, if I can just say that, that's a really important observation. And, you know, the, the way of wisdom is always a both and, not an either or, mm-hmm. right? And, and as I say explicitly in the book, and I trust you know about from my preaching and ministry and other writings that I'm not saying Jesus is only a philosopher. He's, he's more than that, yeah. but I'm saying he's not, he's not less than that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I do think in our evangelical tradition, especially as I started in describing the book, we we've gotten the vertical part down well. I mean, I, you know, we really care about doctrine. We really care about being clear about the necessity of Jesus' atoning sacrifice on our behalf. That's absolutely essential. This, in no way, does what I'm arguing diminish that. It's an enhancement to say. And then on the other side of that, or the 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 living out of that faith, the Bible also provides that you know a great vision, a way of seeing and being in the world. So, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, we had Dr. Matthew Bates on, uh, and okay. and to talk about his work, uh, really talking about the uh, the kingship of Jesus and uh, and how that affects really uh, what, what the gospel is, what the at least the original authors in the scriptures and, and the you know the early disciples thought of when they thought of gospel, a kind of fullness to that 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 involves you know uh, allegiance to a king and. Reading his work and, and really being challenged by some of what, what he's talking about has, in a sense, I think helped me in reading the New Testament uh, have a richer understanding of Jesus as the Messiah King, not just as Jesus, G- Jesus as the substitutionary sacrifice, which m- might have been my default, um, you know, in the last season of life. 
Uh, and so, so recognizing that so much of the scriptures, you know, re, re, rereading and preaching through Romans in the past year has been a, a real eye-opener to think through all of this Jew and Gentile stuff. And, but really, it's at the very beginning, we see this picture of Jesus, the Messiah King, coming to fulfill the prophecies about David. He's the Davidic King. And then what, is, what are the implications for all people, Jew and Gentile? And then seeing kingship throughout has been uh, really a helpful hermeneutical tool, you know? And so, so my question to you is, how might seeing Jesus as the great philosopher uh, help not just with reading maybe the Sermon on the Mount and understanding how to live, but also as we read the whole, the entirety of the New yeah. Testament? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're just pitching me softballs here. Thank you. Yeah, because <laughs> the, the idea is, I mentioned this a little bit in the Sermon on the Mount book, um, but it comes up here a little bit too. The idea of a king is the idea of a philosopher. That is, in the ancient world, the the king doesn't rule by just brute force, not a good king. A good king rules well because they're wise. And and the idea of wisdom yeah. is what is what a, a philosopher is. So if you look at Plato's Republic, you look at uh, Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics and other his politics and other other discussions uh, in the ancient philosophical world of how do you structure society and there are differences of opinion believe me between aristotle and plato and others and i can't claim to be a super expert on all that but what's key to them is that the leaders must be wise whether mm -hmm. it's the king himself needs to be wise or whether he needs to appoint philosophers i mean you always have to remember alexander the great's teacher was aristotle yeah <laughs> right i mean one of the greatest sort of rulers of the ancient world and the one who you know, impacted a massive, a ma a massive geographical area mm. uh, that was, you know, he was tutored by Aristotle and the, and the vision was you had to live your life with wisdom. And I always like to also remember, you know, there, who was the first son of David? You know, Jesus is the ultimate oh. son of David. Who's the first son of David? Solomon. Solomon. And what's he known for? He's known to be the great wise King. Now yeah. in his case, he blows it then, yeah. right? He ends up being foolish but he, he, his wisdom is renowned, and yeah. that's precisely what makes him a great king. And in some ways, he was a better king than David. I mean, he didn't mm. ultimately because he failed. But David was a warrior king, which is a beautiful and good thing in and of itself. But Solomon is what you needed to like establish and maintain an ongoing kingdom yeah. that had been won through blood. And it's wisdom that does it. So, yeah. so the idea of Jesus as king and the, Jesus, and the idea of Jesus as philosopher, they're really two sides of one coin, and that's how they, how they go together. Mm. Love it. Yeah, Solomon brings all this flourishing and, and riches and, yeah, just wealth, prosperity, beauty. I mean, the the descriptions of the temple, it's lavish, amazing. And then there's this hope. He's going he's gonna to be the one. He's going to be the wise Davidic king. We're going we're gonna to flourish. The, the kingdom's here. And then it doesn't happen. Well, and even thinking about Solomon as the wise king that the nations then come to yep. and uh, and really are like, well, what do you have? I want to have what you have. I, I want this vision of, of flourishing. I want to have a, a relationship with the creator God that you have. You know, th that happened, but just for mm, just for a second. Yeah. Yep. And the idea of Jesus as the great wise king yeah. who offers that for all. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Good. Well, I'm going to be a good launch team member moving forward, and, and I'm going to be reading the book and promoting it, uh, and am excited for this contribution. What, what kind of a hope do you have, uh, maybe in general, for how this, this work will contribute to 
uh, the church. Now, I know it's hard to just say the church, but just in general, you know, Christians here in a, you know, that, that may pick your book up, what, what, what are your hopes about how this will contribute to the church? Well, I, I can go back to Nick Offerman because he he appears in the first chapter a couple times um, as just a you know a, a really kind of a um, interesting and sad example. Um, I did not know this about him until I read his little autobiography that he grew up in a pretty devout Catholic family and then had some kind of evangelical conversion experience in high school and then left that in college and. It's he's very bitter against Christianity and he's very vitriolic and unfair towards the Christian faith, which is fine. It doesn't bother me, but in the sense of like, I'm not personally hurt or something, but it's what strikes me about him. What I say in the book is that he, I think, represents an example of a way that the Christianity he was taught was not comprehensive enough to capture his very intelligent and creative energies. Mm. The Christianity he was taught was entirely vertical and, and very strict. And he wasn't really taught a Christianity uh, either in his upbringing or in his evangelical experience that was horizontal and whole life and satisfying and wise. Um, And so he abandoned it. And, and I, so I would hope that this would help, Mm young people or people of any age to see that Christianity is a sophisticated, beautiful, wise, life-giving way of seeing and being in the world that's based in the truth of, of mm-hmm. who God is revealed in Jesus Christ to us. Um, and I would hope that that would strengthen a whole generation of young people and beyond to catch a vision for the beauty and goodness of who Jesus is as the, as the wise one who invites us into a life of flourishing. That would be my hope. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Now as a for sure fan slash listener, the hammer and quill, you I'm sure already know that we end our podcast with a lightning round where we are just going to pepper you with five or six questions. Uh, just give us kind of the, the, the quick, immediate off the top of your head answer. So first one is this, if you could write one book moving forward and it was just guaranteed to sell, didn't have to be about the New Testament. As a matter of fact, my favorite one was uh, Dr. Jerry McDermott, who, who wanted to write a book about a squirrel called no, Nutty. No, Nutty, an acorn. Oh, an acorn called Nutty the Nut. Yeah. So if you want to know more about that, you can go back and listen to that one. But <laughs> you could write one book, it was guaranteed to sell. What would you write? Oh, well, I, besides this one, uh, I actually would love to write a book on what it means to be fully human. So kind of the next kind of lily pad leap from this, a Mm. a vision of what it means to be human. I'm intimidated by trying to write such a comprehensive idea, but that would be it. Or, and, or a great piece of science fiction. Ooh. Ursula Le Guin. She's my hero of science. So I would love that too. I'll read, I'll read both of them. Yes, yes, <laughs> I will read them back, both too. Okay, next question. What's the book you've given most as a gift and it is okay if it's your own? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, probably poetry. I'm a big, uh, especially Billy Collins. He's a real accessible mm-hmm. poet. He was poet laureate a couple times. And just today, again, I actually bought another copy of one of his collections to give to a friend. So mm. I'm I'm a poetry evangelist and uh, probably poetry books. Super cool. Best best book, general book about the New Testament. This could be a survey. This could be 
you know, this could be not a survey. This could be something more specific, but best book about the New Testament for the average Joe. Man, that is so hard. I, I have no <laughs> idea what to say to that. <laughs> That's fine. I do think uh, N.T. Wright has written some great books that are just super enjoyable to read and always eye-opening. Mm -hmm. uh, so lots of his more popular level ones, not like the Jesus in the Victory, Victory kind God. of realm, but like the Surprised by Hope, those mm -hmm. kind of books, I mm -hmm. think are often quite good. Excellent, excellent. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump to what's something under $100 that every pastor should own? A great set of walking shoes because the key to mental and physical health, I think, is to try to walk at least an hour every day. Mm. Wow, that's really good. I, I don't do that. So many people yes. have answered similarly. Under $100, you're not getting the Yeezys. You're not, yeah. But you can get some nice new balances, some Nikes. Excellent. What's the worst advice you regularly hear given to young pastors? Preach long sermons. <laughs> that oh. uh, preaching like really heavy doctrinal sermons uh, is the way forward um well that's a nice idea what you need to do is be doctrinally thick mm. and wise but then preach engaging mm. accessible sermons mm. great advice yes yes um your, I, yours I, not your that. advice is great <laughs> i've preached some long boring Anyway, we're moving on, <laughs> moving on. How do you get unstuck on a project? Take a walk. Take a walk and with those $100 walking shoes. That's right. <laughs> exactly. walk. In fact, I don't have very nice walking shoes. So if you guys want to send me some, I would receive that. Um, but uh, walking and talking, especially with friends mm. um, about, you know, just talking through ideas and, uh, you know, that's when the juices get flowing for me. Walking and talking. What size do you wear? <laughs> nine and a half nine and a half last question there final go, question <laughs> someone send this man some shoes <laughs> last question what advice do you have for an aspiring new testament scholar uh be a well-rounded person don't just study the new testament read fiction read poetry um preach and teach a lot um just read widely and and be an alive soul. And then when you give your intellectual energy to the field of the New Testament, that's great, but that should be just part of who you are, not all of who you are. Mm. So good. So good. So good to have you joining us via Zoom. Listeners, pick up a copy of Jesus, the Great Philosopher. I recommend it. I'm on the launch team, so I can recommend it. <laughs> uh, sounds amazing. Looking forward to reading it and to... Uh, your next projects. Can't wait to read the science fiction book. Yeah. It's guaranteed to sell Thanks, two guys. copies. Uh, thank you to Dr. Jonathan Pennington for joining us via Zoom from Lua Vol. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the Hammer and Quill, episode 21, an interview with Jonathan Pennington. Please subscribe, review us on iTunes, review us on Spotify, Amazon. Throw some five-star reviews our way. Until next time. Peace. Peace.